This is the Amateur Skeptics Podcast number 272. I'm your host, Brian. Joining this evening, back. 50% back. All right. 50%. And Ian is with us. I have let strangers poke me twice. Nice. Did you also get vaccinated? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mad Cat is with us. I've had all my shots, and I very seldom bite. Nice. And of course, we have the dumbass himself. I just want to remind everybody that every movie is a thousand percent better if you imagine that all the characters they're doing each other went off the screen. <laughs> nice. Well, that works nah, pretty much and actually her. tracks with reality. <laughs> <laughs> How is everybody doing? Good. It's been a couple of weeks because I uh, I had to I was uh, on vacation. And my mom was down here, and we were tooling around Texas. I took her to the Dr. Pepper Museum. Yeah. Yay. It's actually pretty neat. I, this is my second time at the Dr. Pepper Museum. It, it, it while its um, main focus is Dr. Pepper, probably, it talks about every soda, the history of soda, how we got to where we, you know, where we are, and, you know, all the quackery along the way, you know, I mean, because it started up, initially they were selling the spring waters that were, were already, you know, fizzy as some sort of health cure, right? So a lot of snake oil along the way. Right, and then you know, and and soda came much later in that in that whole curve. So pretty neat. It's actually you know, it's a, it's a, if you, it's it's worth going to. I wasn't sure talk at first. About, they talk it, about phosphates. Uh, I I believe that that is true. And carbon. That they talked about phosphates. Trying to remember how they carbonated some of the first, you know, how they did the manual carbonating. Uh, I know I. I don't. Know I mean, I, I understand the very first ones were made entirely of cocaine, pretty much, right? Uh, no, <laughs> no. I mean, there's cra- crazy, like. No, no, wait, wait, wait. What, what, what? I don't know. I, uh, no, the first sodas, no. No, well, I mean, prior to Coca-Cola, there was there was going to be sarsaparilla and even prior, even prior. That, we're, we're, but some of the first flavors were like celery flavored. Yeah. And apparently, it's still uh, they still make it. You can still get it. Um, but the but the original list was you know I mean they didn't have all the flavorings they had now so they they were more earthy and you know in a lot of ways. Right. Well, yeah, that is earthy. Uh, I think the first the, I think that celery flavored soda is actually considered to be first diet soda. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is amazing though how how long you know they've been trying to do sugar free or half sugar and stuff like that. Um, you know, Dr. Pepper's had a lot of half sugar sodas along the way. Um, and then, of course, they had their first diet sodas and stuff like that. Well, it's cool, though, that they they, they uh, managed to uncover the original well that they were pulling water from originally hmm. as their source of water. And somewhere along oh, the way, it, it had gotten covered up with, with a slab of cement. And so when they were building the museum, they were finally able to, you know, they, they were able to pinpoint it. And they got it all cleaned up and pulled all the all the crap that had been thrown down there out of it. So pretty cool. Yeah, it's 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 pretty neat. Uh, you know, it's in Waco, Texas, and and I think it it's really, I mean, it, it's the the sort of a lot of sodas here in the U.S. And Kool Aid. There was something about Kool Aid too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the but the cool thing is that they they change all the exhibits on a pretty regular basis. So when I went there, it was different. They had different stuff out. They have a pretty large collection, and they rotate the collection. Mm-hmm. So, cool. Yeah, so it's different stuff. So I mean, some of it's still going to be the same, but. They put a lot of different stuff out, a lot of different historical stuff, a lot of Seven Up stuff, um, and you know stuff like that as well. I like Kool Aid, but I don't drink it very often because of the potential for structural damage. Yeah, 
Yeah. The Kool-Aid man. All right. Anything else? Mm-hmm. No. All right. Well. Wait, doesn't the Kool-Aid man only come in if you're if you're wishing for some Kool-Aid? Uh, doesn't that mean that if you have Kool-Aid on hand, he's not going to bother you? Trust it. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't see that we're hawking Ian shit. It's a protection scheme to, to get you to buy Kool-Aid. <laughs> Drink Kang instead. You don't have Kool-Aid man come through your wall. All right. Let's move on. Yeah, are, we, are we ready to, to masturbate? Oh, yeah. I suck. <laughs> you know, dumbass can do it. He, 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 he can bring it in if you can't. Oh, dumbass does a lot of things that I can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Eeyore. <laughs> See, two seventeen. Yeah, frick. <laughs> All right, it's time for uh, Ian and Dumbass's so... masturbation moment, brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. That's more. <laughs> <laughs> that was very, very boring. Wow! It is now time for Ian and Dumbass's masturbation moment. Brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Amateur Skeptics present Ian's Masturbation Moment. Brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire. Bringing you content that touches people while they touch themselves. Oh, thank you for bringing it home. Let's move on to let, let's talk about a little bit of polyamory, shall we? Let's go for it. Love. So the, this, this article's this, from Forbes. Okay. Um, it's called Love and Sex with Mini, Research on the Health and Wellness of Consensual Non-Monogamy. So this kind of go remember um few podcasts ago we were talking about the one woman who's saying you how great it was to have an affair and i kept saying actually it sounds like you want to be a non-monogamous relationship and you'd probably be healthier if you had a partner that agreed with it i agree with, yeah we yes. this article basically kind of backs that up saying there's a lot of health to be found in that if that's what you need i hate that and, they start with charles darwin though i mean yeah. he does it he's he's kind of irrelevant to this conversation yeah he did a lot of stuff yeah, with I sex agree. and stuff like that it's it's unnecessary he yeah. it, he he would he he was kind of in that Puritan, you know, time period, right? I mean, yeah, but they they're trying to look into you know talk about the biology of it and such, which and is fine. Which uh, in general, other mentality goes with science. We always want to jump back to Darwin and evolution whenever we start talking about that. Yeah, but I'll bet you you can look to to a more modern, um, you know, um, true somebody. I mean, PC Myers or somebody. I'll bet. We'll have more to say about more relevant sex stuff than Darwin does. Yeah. Or Dr. Ruth. Yeah. So, absolutely. The basic article looks at a piece published in a peer reviewed journal called Psychology and Sexuality by a Thomas R. Brooks III, who the picture they have shows him with a man bun, but we will not hold that against him. <clears throat> um, the thing is called The Vice of the like you really want to hold it against him. <laughs> No guy looks good with a man bun. <laughs> so the piece is man bun. <laughs> the piece is called "Vices and Virtues of Consensual Non-Monogamy: A Relation, a I mean, Relational Dimension Investigation." Yeah. 
you kind of blew through even, but the, like the, the wellness and con, uh, consensual non-monogamy piece there. Yeah. Well, no, it, it, this is the article. It, it, okay. The, but the piece itself jumps into this article. That's what the, the article more or less is based off of. Oh, okay. Oh, I article. see. Okay. Okay. So okay. I, I jumped through the introduction that really was what you were just complaining about focusing on Darwin. and. Oh, that. okay. Okay. Sure. That That's, that's for the best. So it basically was a um, a self-reported by 555. I, I love the number because I was like, let's try to make sure we don't come off satanic. Five, 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 five heterosexual participants. So um, you know, they had 555 people give them um, participate in this um, study. When you say study, you mean a, a survey, right? Yeah, well, I mean, compared the various... Measure relationship quality. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those fun things trying to figure out the actual what it was with all the wording used. Yeah, so, but you love to do that with the stuff. Is get the wording where it's like, what exactly are we looking at? So, how, but, so how they collected the data is extremely yeah. important to the quality of it. And I'm True. guessing that this is this is going to be survey data. Yeah, which is typical a standard questionnaire. You know, sociological studies and stuff like that. It, it it it's kind of our best tool, right? Because it's hard to do that, you know, these kinds of things in the clinic, right? Yeah. But the problem is that they're always subjective. Yeah, I, I will give you that. But so it goes into you know the relationship, like you said, it, um, what the the what the um questionnaire focused on satisfaction, commitment, intimacy, passion, and love that they experienced in their romantic and sexual relationships. So that's what all the questions were focused on. Um. So it, it got into you know some of the ideas of oh, well, right here. While those practicing monogamy more often reported that they emotionally withdrew from conflict with their relationship partner. So instead of addressing the conflicts and talking it out, they were more likely to withdraw from it and just kind of let it build up. And is there and a mechanism what, for that? What is there a mechanism? I mean, um, why? Well, why? Why? Why do they think that might be? Um, well, I actually, I'm not even going off this. I'm going off of what I've known about polygamy. If you have a honest poly polyamorous relationship, talking things out is a big part of it. In order to even get to a healthy polygamous po polyamorous relationship, you have to have talked it out already. You have to be honest. You have to be direct with them. You can't just hide things. You can't just um, ignore it. You have to actually talk it out and make sure the communication is there. So, so we see, ever seen. yeah, we see those stressors on communication yeah. in 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 two two um, communities that I see in particular. We 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 hear that talked a lot about in the BDSM community, and we hear it talked about a lot in the polyamory community. So yeah. both of those communities that are slightly outside of what we consider to be the norm, right, um, are are having to have conversations that that we don't normally have that. We that I think in a traditional couple, they feel like they don't have to have, or they or or right. they don't realize they should be having as well, right? It's 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 a function of the fact that they're doing something outside of the norm. Well, I think you're also a bit scared about it because you don't know how the other one's going to react. You, you don't feel you can be as open because oh, well, I you know I, I'm into this kind of thing. Would they be into it or is it going to ruin the relationship? Because you you kind of a lot of the, the relationships come into it where the couples aren't communicating to begin with, they just have feelings for each other. And, you know, you hear this on someone like, oh, my partner's a porn addict. And you say, it's like, well, it sounds like they enjoy it more than you do and you don't like it. That doesn't make them an addict and that shouldn't be the problem. But if you go to the links with both of you saying, yeah, this is what I think of porn, you can balance it out better. 
And so, you know, with polyamorous and the BDSM stuff, you go into them saying, okay, I have to tell them what I'm into. I have to tell them the limits. I have to tell them what I'm comfortable with because I know just the basics of this relationship falls apart right off the bat without that. You can't be polyamorous without knowing the right. the, But, um, but you, but like, you're in a monogamous you know, um, relationship now. And did you have this same kind of a talk when, when, um, with, when, well, uh, we still have these talks. so we, when you we, wanted um, to put glitter on your balls, did, did you have this conversation? <laughs> yeah, well, we've talked about it. <laughs> uh, no, you know, we, I think it is true that, um, that like if, if you've like, uh, not necessarily that, um, uh, uh, monogamous couples wouldn't be open to that kind of level of uh, intimacy and talking about it. But if you've if you've already been of a mindset to talk to your partner about this unusual thing uh, sexually, uh, and uh, you're both open and receptive to it, you you, you would be more re- receptive and open to talking about other unusual sexual things. My ex-wife did not like talking about sex. Um, the majority of sexual stuff bothered her. It sure. is bothered her. So much of it bothered her. And it wasn't, I don't think, so much her not liking it. It was a social thing with her. She, you know, it, it's hard to explain. But she really, there was a thing there. And it was personally how she was raised um, and taught on how to view sex. But she had some pretty serious um, issues. We could not talk about this stuff. I could tell her my fantasies, and it would bother her. She'd never tell me any of hers because she just, you know, felt uncomfortable with the conversation. While right now, um, with Lorelai, um, no, I, I she's much more. I, I know. Uh, tell us, tell us all the dirty details about your sex life with Lorelai. Uh, yeah. Say it, say it slow. Say it slow. How did you yeah. like me to touch her? I, I know what she's done in her past, and I know some stuff we talk about possibly experimenting with going forward and stuff. You know, I've, I've ta- told you about Montelay, um, the uh, basically nudist hotel where, you know, it cl- clothing, it's clothing optional in the swimming pool area. Yeah. That, um, I don't think my ex-wife would ever go to that. So, you know, but and that's one thing, you know, we, me and Loyola have talked about is where the comfort level is and what, you know, what we want. And so, what I mean, we're going to... right. But I guess my, my point is getting it back to your article, is that it, 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 it's a function of communication, not the function of polyamory, necessarily. True. I, I, I will agree with that completely. But the polyamory lifestyle promotes the communication, which I think is a big help to that. And once more, going back to that other article, the, the one about the woman believing everyone should have an affair, it's like, no. Um, one of the things in polyamory is... If one of the partners, let's say, is caught up in something, isn't you know has a week where they're just stressed out and everything, you do have other people. Well, he, he doesn't want the physical intimate contact. I kind of need it right now. Okay, I'm going to go to one of the other partners um, and get that, and you know have what I need. You rest. You t- you take the time you need to be alone and pull yourself together. You know, there, there's different levels of that within that kind of relationship as well, where having multiple partners to help you meet your needs because not everyone's going to be on the same page at the same time. Right. No, that's true. So, you know, there, you know, so there's a lot of stuff um, that goes into why I, I can see benefits from a polyamorous relationship. And the article does somewhat go into it. It's, regretfully, it's much more of a dry read than I would yeah. have liked. 
which always hurts these articles. I get it why okay, they're it, that way. You know, but it's in be, Forbes, right? You know, the, the part, part of the issue is that you're getting – it's coming from Forbes. Yeah. yeah. I mean Forbes, Forbes yeah. has a lot of stuff, but like this might be better covered in psychology today, right? Yeah. There might be uh, – the thing – I think there was something in here that they were hinting at, this idea that – it, that it might, that it might be healthier because um, they were looking at ape populations um, uh, for large mammals. Anyway, monogamy doesn't add to the uh, probability that a species yeah. will survive. Yeah. Well, one thing polyamory helps with is the idea of it takes a, um, a village to raise a child, and I, I know you know of a few polyamorous relationships where. You know that they have kids involved, and the kids have no problem with it. They're being raised by it, and but that means there are other people there to help take care of it. So the burden is not as big on um, you know two parents. You know, <laughs> I know from raising two boys, it can be quite exhausting at times, and having an extra um, person or two around to be part of that relationship and part of watching them can take a, a load off. So have you? Yeah, you were. People tend to think that uh, the like the, the the whole like nuclear family thing uh, is uh, internalized in our society so much that people think it's some kind of biological imperative that this is how it's supposed to necessarily go. But uh, we're constantly being shown that that's not really true. I mean, like no. um, uh, monogamy doesn't uh, necessarily have to be for everybody, and like. Um, uh, there, there doesn't have to be the, this whole uh, 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 deal where one person has to be responsible for uh, all of your uh, sexual and emotional needs uh, to, to the uh, that uh, uh, you're not supposed to uh, even be interested in, in other people. Uh, we, we, we've taken it to, to kind of a fetishistic extent, I think, uh, where, where we think that uh, this is what it's supposed to be. And if, if you have uh, feelings towards any kind of different way of doing things, you're a uh, deviant. So yeah. there's a one book that I can think of that, that, that specifically talks about what, exactly what we're talking about. What, what book is it, dumbass? Don't let me down. Uh, uh, um, you know the book, possibly, but it's not coming to mind right now. I'm sorry. Sex at Dawn. <laughs> oh yes, I did read that. And <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, if you're if you're concerned about the article being too dry, though, you, you need to spend more time on it at the beginning. Uh, no, the, the article won't let me fluff it up. Sorry. I need All a little right. more lube to get through this article. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, my... yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I read a lot of stuff in in speculative fiction about uh, plural relationships when I was reading Robert Heinlein. He had he had uh, definite views on on plural relationships and extended plural relationships and even yeah. relations inside of the family. Yeah. He, I, I, I was a bit worried about some of the stuff with uh, the, the incest ideas that he seemed to, I mean, he had one of his main characters travel back in time just to nail his own mother, which I always thought was one of the most disturbing. Yep. That was dangerous <laughs> long. Mm. Yep. So, his, okay. So his... oh, we're talking about the consensual nominee or non-monogamy, right? So the C and M. Satisfaction. What, what, so what, ultimately, I mean, we could talk all day long about 
some of the specifics. What are their findings? What 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 are we talking about? What what are, what are the, um, the satisfaction pieces of it that they found back here? To find the conclusions. Um. So. Oh, and I see some stuff about Kensing research, right? So, the, so they're going back to, to to some of the Kensing stuff. So, okay. So, um, da, 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 the CNM remains so stigmatized that some people are too ashamed to admit the truth of their romantic and sexual selves, even to anonymous surveys. Data collected, um, reflected the highest. I'm not sure what reported in the research reflected the highest esteem. Hold, hold on a second. Hold on. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Uh, just read. Read that to me again, that they were talking about people being afraid to... Ashamed to admit the truth of their romantic and sexual selves, even to an anonymous survey. Um, That's a big assumption. Yeah, it's hard to find the exact solid conclusion in here. Well, there's this, kinda... there's this there's a section on, uh, on the satisfaction, right? So... It doesn't. It doesn't have a great conclusion. Um, no. Indeed, a wide variety of current estimates on how many adults and Americans participate in CFM lifestyle anywhere from four percent to twenty-two percent. That's a huge gap, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, if if they can't even pin that down a little bit closer, how good? How how? So this is, I, I guess, what um, the writer kind of said in his piece. We want people contemplating are already in CNM relationships to know that they are not the first ones to want this. They're not alone in history. They are good role models. We hope that looking at the past can make people confident about structuring their lives in a way that's fulfilling. Okay, so here, okay, this is good. So they talk about the the four percent in twenty thirteen, twenty two percent in twenty sixteen. So so it's not so it's not as big as app as as. So they're saying that 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 more people are willing to admit that in 2016 than they were in 2013 by a significant yeah. margin by 18 percent. Um, suggests that C C and M remains so stigmatized that people are too ashamed to admit the truth of their romantic relationship, which is I guess yeah that's what you were reading. Yeah. Um, and their sexual selves, even even to an anonymous survey, and that's interesting. Um, it it seems like it's getting better. Uh, data collector yeah. reports that in 2016, the researchers by the Kensing Institute reflected on the high estimate of 22% lifestyle in, uh, incidents. The Kensing research also notes that men as well who identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual were more likely to uh, testify and preserve engagements to, yeah, in, to engage in to, CNM. Yeah. And I think that that's true. Once again, once you... Once you get out of the stereotypical monogamous relationship, and you start looking, at, you know, at, at different different models, um, that model that sounds I don't know that I don't like, <laughs> um, such as such as same sex and you know polyamory, BDSM. One, once you finally, once you if you if you look at these other models, there there's they're probably a lot more. There's a lot more communication going on in, in these, you know, because it, because it is something different. We're all expected to know how to do monogamy, and it do, and and it doesn't work that way. Yeah, uh, it'd be interesting. You know, I think I think these kinds of relationships, uh, like have been uh, uh, around a lot of people, longer than people recognize. It's just that I think kind of before that when uh, that well, uh, women who were involved in these kind of relationships, I think people just thought of as whores. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, like the the men, the men of course were uh, were seen as like sleazy playboys who who aren't willing to to settle down and always just like stringing along the women. Where whereas like 
Uh, I think uh, probably more common for people to consider that, wait a minute, maybe the, the women were into uh, this kind of uh, not uh, monogamous situation with him as well. He doesn't, he doesn't have to be uh, some sleazy guy just forcing them into not Well, not forcing them, but like mind gaming them into it. Yeah, I think, I think that the I think that the politically correct term for a sleazy guy who's stringing along a bunch of women but not committing to any of them is lucky bastard. So I quickly put in um, cheating statistics because that actually is kind of significant to what we're talking about. According to the infidelity statistics, about forty percent of unmarried relationships and twenty-five percent of marriages see at least one incident of infidelity. Yeah. Which says there's a fair amount of people out there that want to go beyond just a monogamous relationship for whatever reasons. So I think though, we've been humans have been around for about what, two hundred, three hundred thousand years, and it's only the last ten thousand years that, that monogamy has, has been a thing. Right. It, it's it, I think it's new to our species based on my readings of Sex at Dawn and, and other pieces that I've seen. Uh, I guess it's hard to know exactly, but certainly, you know, hunter gatherer societies when, when we uh, when they you know, when we started becoming more agrarian and you know, property became more of a thing, women became part of that property. Yeah. And, well, and that's, I, you know, if you go back to the if you go back to the beginning and to the origin you know, essentially, that it was it was enforced monogamy because there was only one man and one woman. <laughs> ah, and a snake. And a snake. Now, 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 Ian, uh, I, I'm curious. Now, all this uh, talk we've been doing in, in this episode and in past ones uh, about uh, polyamorous relationships has this been a preparation for for a talk you're planning to have with Lorelai? Um, we've already had talks about um these levels, and I'm not going to go into detail with it here. <laughs> I, that was just the mess. So how, so how, how many girls do you have on the side, Ian? How many girls do you have on the side? Let's, let's hear about your harem. Believe it or not, we actually are part of a group on Facebook that was pagan polyamorous. I'm not surprised. It, <laughs> there were reasons for it, because, you know. Ian, you're it, pagan? It, no, neither is um, Lorelai. <laughs> wait, 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 hold on. Who's pegging who? We just wanted to get invited to the party. <laughs> <laughs> so, pegging polyamorous. Oh, oh that's what we got. Okay. Wait, do you, do you, do you have the strap on? That's what I want to know. I, have you been doing the pegging? <laughs> uh, <laughs> some of the um, parties we've gone to... <laughs> Well, All right, let's move on. Let's move on. He's turning. You you can like hear him turning red, can't you? I know that I know that Lorelai is not pagan. I, I know that she goes to that that Latvian church. Where they How do you know she's not pegging people? <laughs> okay, one, it's not fully my place to say a Lorelai is part of this, and two, I know my, that my father listens to the podcast itself. So it's kind of, yeah, I don't know how far I'm going to some of this. Oh my God, no, we don't need to do that. In, in fact, if you need me to cut some of this, let me know. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. All right, it. no, no, let's go, let's go, let's go into intricate detail about Ian's sex life for his uh, father-in-law. <laughs> Your father, father-in-law. Um, technically stepfather, but he's basically the man that raised me, so he's my father. Father. Uh, well, it would be more interesting if it, if it was your father-in-law. <laughs> he doesn't. He's not married anymore. 
Yeah, and the one father-in-law I had, he would never listen to this podcast, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's for the best. Yep. All right. Well, if it's if it's your girlfriend's father and you spend enough time with her, technically, I guess he's your father in common. He's passed, so. All right. Let's move on. Let's move on to Hobby Lobby because because that's not sexual. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is Hobby Lobby advocates for Christian oh, government. Well, not if you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Uh, so Hobby Lobby advocates for Christian-run government in Independence Day ads placed in many national newspapers. So what a great way to celebrate our independence is by trying to promote um, Christian-run government. But here's the thing is that you put this in, in what the fuck, and I get that. But, of course, what they're doing here is legal. Perfectly yeah, I know what they're legal. doing, but it's kind of insulting. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, I put a link to the actual article. You can read exactly what they put in there. And a lot of it is the same old propaganda that's been put out there that goes completely against the facts. You know, it, it's twisting words. It's trying to uh, imply certain things said things they didn't. Hobby Lobby has no less respect for our Constitution than the uh, conservative conservatives in government i'm not going to deny that <laughs> yeah i mean they're they're promoting they're promoting bullshit right and yeah. and in much of what they i i haven't read this whole thing but we're not a christian nation <laughs> and, no. and, and and these people are trying to tell us that we are and that we need to accept god um i, I i'm going to offer to them that the latest numbers on on religion aren't good for them <laughs> yeah and 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 but i mean we see it, we see them um, being quite vocal and they, and because they are a while my minority they're a minority that votes they are getting their way quite a bit right yeah and hobby lobby it, it helps with that right these efforts will get the get their followers out to vote it works yeah now that's one of the problems you know something like this is going to get their um, base riled up and excited and promoting a lot of the inaccuracies yet again. And everything that they're doing here is legal. They yes. can lie to you they're, 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 because it isn't like they're lying about a product necessarily. And this is their personal, this is their personal opinion yeah. as a corporation, which is a person according to the Supreme Court. And if you look at the ad itself, all it is doing is putting quotes that are, I've, I've not looked them up, admittedly. Some of them I've seen before. But they're, they're putting quotes from our history in there that suggest um, certain things without actually ever once saying it. Stuff like um, the very first quote they use. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful to his benefits, and to humbly employ his protection and favor. And that's credited to George Washington. Okay, nowhere in there, though, does it say the government needs to be run by God. There's a quote from, from Madison in here, who was an atheist, <laughs> who, wrote, who wrote virulently against the idea that, you know, uh, was he an atheist? Maybe not, but, but he, he's, he was not pro-religion. And yeah, well, so, Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, Thomas Jefferson Thomas, was yeah. a known theist who altered the Bible to get rid of a lot of this stuff. Oh, yeah. And they quote him as well. Well, and Madison was just, Madison was just a whack job. What? Madison? Well, actually, Madison's interesting. Because this doesn't even... Before any man can be considered as a member of civil society, he must be considered as a subject of the governor of the universe. I don't know 
know what that means. That, 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 that's not necessarily got. That's on kind of more of a yeah. metaphysical. You know, he 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 has a lot of statements against um against religion. So yeah. so quoting him is not to your advantage. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah, we they're, they're, we can cherry pick too, right? I guess that that's yeah. the bottom line. We can cherry pick and as well. That's part of the thing. But but the overall issue is if you look at the concept of freedom of religion, you have to have freedom from religion within that. You you can't have any religion at all forced on the people on any level if you well, have freedom and, of religion. You know, Madison uh, wrote Jefferson, the Bill of Rights. And, I think there's a Jefferson quote in there where he says it does me no harm for my neighbor to say he has one god or ten gods or no god. Uh, it yeah. neither breaks my leg nor picks my pocket. I've heard that quote before. And, and people yeah. do this too with it by, by you know they, they cherry pick Einstein stuff he said early on compared to later. Are very different and contradictory, right? Yeah, but and, there's a whole there's a whole world of difference between cherry picking Einstein and cherry picking George Washington, because you know cherry picking George Washington, he just cuts down. Uh, now the other interesting thing is if you look at all the um, congressional stuff and the Supreme Court stuff within here, they're actually pretty old. They're, they're easily over a hundred years old. Um, you know, we're talking the latest, what, 1892 looks like the most recent of all the quotes they're um, picking from. Well, that's only because so they haven't included any of the recent theocrats that they put on the Supreme uh, Court. Yeah, but still, the, the quotes they're picking from are 130 years old or older than that. Yeah. Which and, is yeah. another thing to point out. It's like, uh, you know, part of the whole concept of the Constitution and the idea of amendments is to alter it as times progress and to fix it and say, okay, this doesn't work anymore. Stuff like freeing the slaves, giving women the rights to vote, things like that had to be added in because we were like, okay, that wasn't the best decision back then. Times have changed and we've woken up to, yeah, that doesn't work. Well, the originalists will disagree with you and you just ruffled all of their feathers. Which basically, the originalists would invalidate all the amendments made. Originalism is stupid, right? I mean, originalism is a terrible way to do law. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And even with looking at, um, like, you know, the big thing on the Second Amendment, what was the intent of it? It was right. over 250 years ago. Uh, it doesn't, it kind of, it kind of, it it's one of those statutes, though, that kind of doesn't matter. We yeah. have to decide how we want to live in our current society, right? right? Just because it was there 200 years ago doesn't mean that we should keep it forever. And, well, there's certain aspects we can look and say, okay, how can we make this fit better with the current needs of our um, society? But they could say the same thing about the First Amendment, right? The separation right. of church and state, you know, and and, and, and those kinds and of things. They have. they have looked and said, okay, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater because that's dangerous. It doesn't matter if the First Amendment says freedom of speech. We can elaborate on that and see where, okay— it, it needs more given to it. Yeah, except for our current Supreme Court is, is leaning to mean, you know, the freedom of religious speech as well, right? And so so it is kind of bastardizing what how yeah. I think it should be used. Yeah, you know, it gets tricky. There's no doubt. But, you know, this is one of the interesting things. Like I said, you read through this, they're looking back way far, and they're not really paying attention to the present. But that's pretty common, yeah. right? Because people were there, – there was, there was a lot more Christianity and fundamentalism around – a hundred years ago, it, it's kind of gone. It, 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 there's not as many of them anymore, and and the nuns are the largest growing, you know, 
population in in the in America and in Mac not not nuns is in a convent <laughs> before you even try to go there like, <laughs> nuns is in no is in no religion not necessarily nuns. atheists but let's call them nuns yeah that we could, it's nuns it's it's it, it they call okay. them yeah they call them nuns interesting but it's, but it's nuns is in, is in is yeah I, I um it, I think that's how the Pew poll refers to them <laughs> interesting but yeah, so because they don't thing. have a religion, there's there's Christians, there's there's you know there's there's atheist, Christian, Muslim, and none, no religion, right? None. That's that's where that that's where that's coming from. They right. selected no religion. They so so none, and, and so that so that was the category, right? Don't even have another. Well, no, not really. I I, I did, we'd have to go look at the the most recent polls, but. <laughs> Yeah, so that one just caught me as, oh, great, uh, you know, stuff you don't want to hear about, but you know is out there. Yeah. So they uh, consider it nonsense. But but they, but they put, you know, that whole one nation under God nonsense. Listen, when I do the when I do the pledge, I do it the way Porky Pig did it, and there's no under God in it. Yeah. I, I myself um, just stay silent for that part. I don't say it at all, quite frankly. I, uh, I, I, I won't do the pledge. No, don't blame you. That's... And you know, we go to a whole different thing on that, on the forced nationalism that comes from forcing the kid to say the pledge and yep. everything like that. Exactly. I don't like it. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think that – and if they and they want people to stop kneeling at ball games, just stop – you know, just, just to stop doing the Pledge of Allegiance and that kind of stuff. Well, the, the national anthem. And that was a forced thing. It, it, um, don't they do the pledge? Well, I think they, they do the, the national anthem and the pledge. They, 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 um, they do I the whole caboodle, kid and caboodle. The they don't do the national anthem. Anthem. Some might do the, uh, the pledge as well, but it's primarily the national anthem. National, that, a national anthem um, that only one percent of the population can even sing. Yeah, and <laughs> I think it's only been being done since like the seventies or eighties. It's not that old, all in all. It's no, not no, something that was regularly yeah, yeah. done up until a certain point where it's like, okay, let's we, we need to get patriotic, and so let's get all our sports people doing it. And it's false patriotism. And by, by the people... way, guys, pledging allegiance to your flag is. Yeah, no shit. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But here in Texas, we we do it to the to the American flag and the Texas flag because that's how we do it. Because we're true America, Americans, Americans down here in Texas. We we got two flags and we represent them both the same. We have a creepy Texas national anthem too, or Texas uh, pledge. I was gonna say, isn't your Texas isn't your Texas anthem uh, deep in the heart of Texas? But I, I think it has something to do with we will back our politicians even after they deprive us of power and make us live in <laughs> conditions. Yeah, we call a special session not to deal with actual emergencies, but to make sure that, that brown people can't vote. <laughs> Go, <Yeah>. Texas. <laughs> okay, I will let Dumbass take over now All if right. you would like to. <laughs> Red Rover, Red Rover, let Dumbass come over. <laughs> Uh, and once again, we're going back to Forbes. I, you know, this is from Forbes. Uh, did so-called Stanford NI, uh, the NIH study really show f- that masks are ineffective against COVID nineteen? Did well? Did yes. they? Um, yeah, uh, yeah. That's a that's a claim uh, coming around on uh, social media. Uh, either attributed to Stanford or uh, the National Institutes of Health, uh, claiming that uh, face masks are ineffective against uh, uh, COVID-19, or even uh, that it is harmful. Um, 
Now this is this article is written to written by Bruce w Y Lee, um, and I like uh, uh, his uh, little paragraph here on it. I'll, I'll read it out to you. He says, <clears throat> "Okay, there are two problems with that claim. It's not a Stanford study. It's not an NH study, and in fact, it's not even a, really a study." All right. There are three problems with that claim. It's not a Stanford study. It's not an NH, NIH study. It's not really a study. And, oh, it didn't really show that face masks are ineffective against the COVID-19 coronavirus. Check that. There are four problems with that claim. <laughs> it's not a Stanford study. It's not an NIH study. It's not really a study. It didn't really show that face masks are ineffective against the COVID-19 coronavirus. And, by the Based way, it didn't the... really show that face masks are even harmful. Based on the, uh, um, let's start the again. theme you're going with here, dumbass. I'm going to assume the study was done by the Spanish. You could have let him at least get through it. <laughs> you could have at least get him letting it through it before you try to interrupt him. I, I could have, but <laughs> that, that was about the end. That was about the end. I'm going to do it this way. What about fair play. I, I, um, <laughs> what were you reading? <laughs> I, 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 I really did enjoy that, though. goes into a lot of depth about this, but um, uh, some of the basics are that, like, um, linking uh, linking this to, as a Stanford study um, is kind of bogus. It seems to be based on the fact that this guy uh, is associated with Stanford as a, a visiting professor or something. But he's, I mean, he's not a. He's only member. he's been there. He's, he's, he's not like doing. Yeah, a year. He was there. What? He was there for like a year visit. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, he he, he the, the study has nothing to do with Stanford really. He 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 has like some sort of past association with them. Um, and the NIH uh, the, is the, the NIH. The only claim, the only thing that seems to link this to the NIH is that uh, it was it's uh, available on PubMed, which is an NIH uh, uh, study database. Um, but uh, right, but yeah, it's, uh, the PubMed is free. Anybody can. Put a study there, right? I don't so. think it's just anybody, but it would have to be a published study. So where did he publish his study? It's the Journal of Medical so Hypothesis. You, you, want, you want to take that on? Well, yeah, he, he publishes yeah. this in the metal, the Journal of Medical Hypothesis, right? So the, these are this is one of these, cra I don't know, maybe it isn't a crap journal, but the way it's being used is inappropriate. So this is, this is one of those journals that if you can't get anybody legitimate— the publishes thing, you can go to one of these other journals, and there's about 5,000 of them that that you can publish in these for 18, uh, what, $1,850. So if you if you are ready to pay somebody to publish your hypothesis, you can get this published. And we've seen we've seen other groups do this kind of stuff, right? This is not the first time we we've seen um, skeptics publishing stuff in these magazines. Just as how how easy it it is to do. Let, let me let me read you some of these uh, other published quote unquote studies from uh, uh, medical hypotheses. Oh, uh, please do. Called, uh, Is there an association between the use of heel footwear and schizophrenia? Yes, uh, that that one I believe. <laughs> Here's another one: the use of heeled footwear and schizophrenia. Okay. <laughs> what, where Here's another me? one. Here's another one: ejaculation as a potential treatment of nasal nasal congestion in mature males. Okay, so admittedly, I've tried this. No go. Well, yeah, but yeah. how mature uh, are you? Angle right. <laughs> Brian, how mature are you? <laughs> oh, good point. Never mind. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> uh, here's a, here's another article uh, uh, speculating on the possibilities of quote losing weight by defecating at night. <laughs> 
Oh my god, this stuff well, right there. Basically itself. you defecate before you get on the uh, scale. No. No, it had something I don't know. I don't exactly know, but they make reference to not sitting on the toilet all night. So you can defecate. <laughs> I don't know. I I woken up in the middle of the night and needed to go. I don't recall that helped me lose weight though, but <laughs> This seems like a perfect forum to publish uh, my findings about about it being more effectively vaccinated by surprise. <laughs> yeah, but do you have eighteen hundred dollars to um, publish it? Oh, Corona. I'm gonna start a GoFundMe. <laughs> there we go. So having COVID is like having the hiccups, then. You need to scare it out. <laughs> Here, here's the bottom line. Yeah, they're, they're, the, the, yeah this, this article also oh, go goes ahead. into into details like taking down uh, even this hypothesis as kind of ridiculous, making like big leaps of logic uh, uh, in order to try and claim that uh, wearing a face mask can do stuff like cause severe hypoxemia, which hasn't been shown to happen. We've been wearing face masks. Uh, now for over a year, uh, and uh, this is not a thing, but uh, Wait, this, this is actually, like complete. Gotta, something this guy, sorry, go ahead. You got a what? I was gonna say, yes. I got a yeah, I'm just saying that. something. <laughs> you know, Hitler, I'm, Hitler I'm had a whole yeah, fashion style. Hitler had a whole fashion style around wearing ga- a face mask. Uh. <laughs> Too soon? Too soon. Anyway, you know, uh, as far as the fear hypoxia, um, I find that with my asthma, the sensation of the mask on my nose can cause me to, you know, I still wear it, but it can cause me to get a panicked feeling like I'm being, like I'm being smothered. I I, I don't disagree with that. Um, Sometimes the masks are not. Uh, extremely no, 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 comfortable, that, uh, yeah. Certain masks are better than, than yeah. others, but uh, and but the, but once again, that's more psychological. Comfortable trying to breathe through them. Yeah, they, it's more psychological than than it is, you know, physical. Though the, those kinds of things, it doesn't make them, you know, any easier to deal with, right? But yeah, they they it, they exist for sure. It's real. Yep, but that doesn't make it necessarily a reason. It doesn't make it a necessarily a reason not to not to pursue the protocol. It just means that you need to find a way to make it work. Yeah, down here in Texas, we threw protocols away a long time ago, <laughs> which is why which is why our numbers are spiking again. But you know what? <laughs> Everything's bigger That's in Texas. Still people. Well, you know, I think, uh, dude, I think your Texas state motto: "Don't tell us what to do." <laughs> no, that, no, you're not. You're uh, you're very close to right. You're very close. Hearty yeehaw, bro. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, do face masks work? What's what's the bottom line here? Um. Yeah. yeah they, they definitely work. <laughs> they definitely um, they, work. Yeah. This is just a bunch of nonsense that some guy uh, threw out, made, made it like completely off the top of his head for the most part, and uh, really irresponsible speculation that uh, was uh, completely non-reality based. Uh, wear your mask, people. You know, I. I I trash these journals, but the fact of the matter is, is that there there is a place for them where where people can put like they might have an actual hypothesis that's worth studying in a, in a journal like this. And and in those cases, it kind of makes sense that you know to to populate that stuff and say, okay, would that work? And other people can say, hey, well, okay, let, how do we test that? Um, so there could be potential value, but when when stuff like this is being misinterpreted as being an actual study and and is all over the place. It's harmful. Mm-hmm. Well, 
and you know, like if if money is involved and is, if money is a factor more than scruples, anything can be abused. Well, there you go, and that that there that's probably uh, we don't know what the guy's money. motive is, but I suspect there's a financial you know attachment to it. But you he goes through eighteen hundred dollars. A- well, I mean, he, he's assuming he can make more some other way, right? Maybe not. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the guy's motivations were for 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 publishing it in the first place. I guess, but it's just but irresponsible. I agree with. Of course, of course, I don't know if if re, if, re, if publishing it was more irresponsible than the people reporting it. So I don't know. It's interesting, anyway. Well, I I have a theory that uh, probably could be published in that journal. That the guy who came up with that theory was probably bored and drunk. Well, <laughs> or stoned, or something. <laughs> no, if, if he was stoned, he'd never be able to get the paper. <laughs> it just it never, it just never would happen. Right. It was. All right. Hey, did you guys see uh, Jeff, Be- Jeff Bezos went to space on a giant penis? <laughs> I'm sorry, the Blue Origins is overly phallic. There's no need for it to look yeah. like this. I mean, come on, man. Oh, yeah. no but, doubt. okay. It's, and, it's and I understand that he's planning to use that, uh, that giant penis in order to uh, bring some lady to, to through the stratosphere. Which he did. Hey, <laughs> 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 oh. Okay, so, okay, but aside from that, this is really cool. This yes. is this is a, a what a low orbital flight. It, it um I I don't know what the max height. Okay, the max height is um what three thousand five hundred fifty one, uh two hundred and ten, uh, so thousand feet. So three hundred fifty one thousand feet essentially. So so into just basically into the stratosphere, low orbit. But and and he really his intention for building this is to do exactly what he just did. It's to put yeah. it's to, it's to give millionaires an opportunity to be you know to become astronauts. And it broke a record with both the youngest and oldest people to go into space. Right. So the oldest person was 82-year-old uh, Wally Funk, and the youngest was... Uh, he was 16, I think. No, he was 18. He's 18. 18? Yeah, okay. he probably had to be 18. So Oliver Demon. But here's the thing. Okay, this is cool. He went into space. It worked. So 65 miles above the desert, he, he, he did it. Um I don't know. I guess it said that we could see the streak in Texas. I didn't go outside to look. I knew when it was launching. Unfortunately, I was in a meeting. Um, I guess we I, potentially we could have. I don't know if I could have seen it from Houston or not. Um, I'm not exactly sure where the launch where, where they launched off in Texas here, but they launched in, from from Texas, and he landed it. They say it landed in the desert. So it, it, the the rocket goes up uh, as high as it's going to go, and then it separates. And then they've got about three minutes of, of weightlessness. Then they need to strap in, and, and, the, and it comes down and lands in the desert. It deploys parachutes, and it's coming down at, at what is it? Say twenty miles an hour. And then, um, and then the then the uh, there's shock absorbers on the seats and everything. And so I, I the landing, you know, he describes it as being a cushy landing. Uh, I don't know, but either way, it worked. It's disappointing that they didn't pass through the cosmic rays because everyone was really trying to point out that this almost is a Fantastic Four's origin story. That's funny. Okay, I. <laughs> you haven't seen the memes? No, on that? no, no, I haven't. No, you had four, four people. A woman, um, the mastermind behind it all, uh, his brother, which is a kind of big-looking guy, and then this um, teenager. And so there's been a lot of references to the Fantastic Four. His brother's the skinny guy. What do you mean big? His uh, the pictures I saw, um, yeah. 
his brother was taller than him and looked kind of muscular compared to him. Yeah, uh, maybe. I don't know. So it might be compared to him, but, okay. you know. And then, like I said, you have the 18-year-old. You know, you basically have the Fantastic Four as the joke. But, right. like I said, they didn't hit the cosmic ra- radiation, obviously. So, But the, the best part uh-huh. of this story is Wally Funk. Wally Funk, she she's 82 years old. She she trained to um to be part of the Mercury program. So she so she's one of what 13 women astronauts that that were training at the time. And apparently she, she boasts that she did better than the men on these things. And but she mm-hmm. she was repeatedly denied um uh by NASA to become a, an astronaut. Um I guess she doesn't have an engineering degree. So that was one of the so it's so no, she's not a man. And she, well, okay, she yeah. She, um, she was missing. Yeah, a degree, and she didn't, she wasn't a test pilot. Now, here's the thing is that well, if it flies, it. she has a license to fly it, right? She, she's very much a pilot, and so, uh, but she's not a test pilot. So, not a so. Pilot, even <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the, these, are, these are the things that she was told. As to yeah. what's true, I can't tell you, right? And she not can't either, pilot. right? Well, okay. I, I, it's hard to deny that 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 a lot of that might be and I might be the fact. What was that? Was that on my side or yours? <laughs> that was on my side. Oh, okay. <laughs> but anyway, so she finally, so eighty-two years old, she finally, she finally, you know, gets to go to space. So that, so that was pretty. That's pretty cool. She also that's has cool. a ticket to fly on the Virgin Galactic as well. So. Um, when that goes, when Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic launches, she may be on that one too. She's got she's got a ticket on she's got a ticket on on that as well. So she was going to get to space, um, but you know, and she finally did it. Eighty two years old, she looks really good for eighty two. I'll tell you what. So one of my the, all, all the stuff building up to this, if you were watching, they had a lot of memes out there, kind of putting him down, or you know, oh, he's a billionaire and he's. Focused on going to space and to feeding the homeless and all that stuff. And I kind of agree with it, except for the fact that if I was a billionaire, fuck it, I wouldn't want to go into space. I'm sorry, that sounds too awesome. You hope he'll you know take some of his money and do some good down here on Earth and help that. But the idea of billionaires wanting to spend their money to do something as awesome as going into space, I can't put him down for that. No, I, I can't understand. either. I it, this it's yeah. it, it's jealousy. It's pure jealousy on their part. Yeah, I agree. Well, you you hope they'll do some good with the money here on Earth. You can't blame them for saying, hey, I got all this money. This is something everyone pretty much fucking dreams about doing. How can you actually go off on them for doing that? You, you can't. And this is space tourism, and this is going to be huge. And, and, and he yeah. knows it. Not only that, we have received an awful lot from the space industry in the first place. Well, that that's the other and, thing is that these claims that you know that we should be doing stuff here before we're going to space. No, we can get an awful lot out of space to to help us still. Exactly. Find out stuff in space that we can't find that we can't find out on. Yeah, the, well, yeah. That, uh, I haven't looked into it, but I bet that um, I haven't looked into it, but I bet that uh, they've uh, developed. Uh, some uh, new technologies or at least new applications in uh, designing um, these uh, rockets and such. Well, it's I think it's fully reusable, yeah. right? So yeah. the, what, that's the big innovation that that both rockets from Elon Musk and and from Bezos is that the, the they they go up, they expend their fuel, and they come back down and they land, and so so all the parts are reusable. Right. No, I I love the fact we have a new space race going on. I think it's actually good for us that it. it 
it's going to incite the idea of new technologies and seeing what can be done. Because we did kind of stall out. You know, we got to the moon, we got a subtle program going, we got the space station, but it all kind of really filtered. There wasn't the excitement Weird. anymore. There's yeah. no, yeah. no competition there, and there's so much that is based on competition. And yes, we yeah. have gotten an awful lot from being, doing space yeah. work. Too. Now, the Blue yeah. Origins can't put somebody on the ISS, right? They're working on a larger rocket. Um, but this one, this one's not capable of doing that. This is strictly space tourism. Yeah. Um, and and the people that can afford it are are, are the you know why they're going to get a ride. Yeah. Why not? I I I agree with that. And the, here's the thing: is that Bezos has the money to do both, right? Yeah. And it could also be. I mean, like you said, it's space tourism. However, if he makes enough money from the space tourism, he has more money to help the world than he did before. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: I I don't know that Bezos has really shown a lot of interest in in being a throughout being you know doing like you know what we've seen Bill Gates do with his money. Bill Gates has a mission, right? And the, here, here's a, here's a man who's who's very driven, and he and he's spending his money, you know, it's getting vaccines throughout the world, and um and and I you know we're not seeing that with Bezos, but Bezos is is younger and he hasn't had his money as as long, right? This is something that mm-hmm. we saw Bill Gates do later in his life. Fair enough. So maybe he just feels uh, guilty for having a whole bunch of stuff that other people in his. Listening to him talk is easier than listening to Musk talk. You know, Elon Musk can get people excited. He's got he's got a great stage present. But but lately, everything he says just makes him sound like a, a quack. Right? Ass. Uh, yeah, like oh. an ass. And I don't feel that way when Bezos talks. Right. So he doesn't have the charisma as Elon Musk, but at least he's not saying stupid shit. Oh, he has been known to say stupid well, shit. Well, he has. I know. I just don't feel. I just don't. You've got to. You got to understand, though, that Elon Musk is very driven, and what he's mainly driven to do is become the next Howard Hughes. <laughs> well, you know, okay. He starts you know, I, I think. I think what. I think what people might be reacting to uh, more isn't necessarily uh, the fact that Jeff Bezos did this, but more the amount of media attention that's being paid to it. Jealousy. It is. It well, maybe, but. It is pretty exciting. It, it does have... seem like it's not like a uh, it's not like the hugest accomplishment uh, to to be uh, devoting uh, new space to or anything. It's really kind of a, a boring thing that some guy spent a lot of money and uh, uh, went up to the edge of space. Well, okay. Yeah. What do you what do you say that, that it's boring because Musk already did it and only he hasn't he hasn't gone up in his own. Um, you know, instead he sends people to the IIS. You see, you know, he can send supplies to the IIS. So in some ways, what 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 he's doing is more important and and more boring, right? I mean, I don't know. It is pretty exciting, though. I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm not bored or, by it. Well, he's not the person who's actually doing the study and creation of whatever what is being used to go. Correct? Yeah, I, he's, he's just not an engineer. He's he's he he's but he's picking the right engineers to get the job done. Right. I mean, exactly. But the thing is, too, is that's another thing people can complain about. Well, he's just got all that money. It's not him doing it himself, but I, it is in a sense because he's paying for it. How is it not? Yeah. How is that not just jealousy? <laughs> I mean, I'm jealous. I don't have the, I don't have the money to get to go to space like that. Um, like I said. Yeah. But a lot uh, of people, it's uh, jealousy. Is it true know. that they called the monster, called the rocket one-eyed monster? <laughs> No, no, and it's not one-eyed Willie I, I, I either. I think it would be kind of boring to go to a space like that, just like, oh yeah, I can 
see space through the window now, and a few minutes later, it's over. Like, you probably don't like jet skis either. You're a boring, boring person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, see, if he doesn't like jet skis, he's obviously not. <laughs> All right. Here, we, we gotta... I'm from an area where there is Niagara Falls. Of course he doesn't like jet skis. That means you go falling. <laughs> Which one? What are we going to wrap up with here? Uh, handball players fined those for not connected. wearing bikini bottoms? Those are connected. Oh, okay, well, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it and get okay. out of here. And this is very actually relevant to right now because one of them is from the Olympics that just started. So, um, the first... So the first one, um, if, if, if you're on Facebook and stuff, there's means of this flowing like crazy. So the... Um, who Norway isn't it? The Norwegian handball teams. This is kind of the opposite of the kind of uh, dress code stuff that we usually talk about. Yeah. Um, so the um, women's Norwegian handball team has been for the longest time trying to get changes done to the official um, uniform policies because apparently the uniform policies actually stipulate that the women have to wear basically bikini briefs, while the men, on the other hand, have a lot more leeway of the shorts they can wear. So the, the the women have been fighting this for some time now, for like decades, I think is what. I forget when it started. But so this so while. this box so the, in the picture it looks like they're wearing a boxer brief. Yeah, uh, fifteen years they've been playing about for fifteen years. So um, and and maybe it's time, an age thing when when they when they're in high school where uh, where <laughs> where like all right you fucking mustn't tempt us but you know after <laughs> that okay you well, better tempt us well in Norway but, I don't think that's an issue. Yeah, but no, like I said, this is in the official International Handball Federation rules that stipulate the women have to wear bikini briefs, the men um, shorts up to this length, blah, blah, blah. Can't be too baggy and so on. Um, and like I said, they've been fighting. So they said, screw it. We are going to wear what we feel more comfortable in. And they just showed up for the match with it. Each of them got fined $177, which the team itself said, we are going to take care of. You don't need to have to individually, because obviously, the, you know, the team, you know, the Whoever you know, the managers of the team are behind them on this one hundred percent. And so the Olympic, this, the Olympic committee assessed the. This is an Olympics. This is the ne- International oh. Handball Federation. The next one's Olympic. This okay. one's International Handball. So, you know, they showed up. They did it. Um, it. The article itself, I believe, is the one that goes into the idea that it makes sense because when you're doing it in the bikini booths and stuff, you have the the um the the concern about this um. Your sexual, um, your body and stuff being it's in there. Sand. So there's, the more there's sexualized, sand. yeah, the more sexualized you feel while you're out there performing, the harder it is to perform. Sure. Also, bikinis—they are not that easy to wear for competition type. Yeah, but yeah. jumping around in those things, they're gonna be riding up and all this other stuff that can't help with the comfort. And so it completely and totally makes sense. Let's do something. The athletes themselves say, I am more comfortable. This is going to get the better performance out of me. Why are they sexualized? Why the, why in the, are they stipulating this stuff in the first place? That's what, that's Um, what's crazy. Because we like to see girls in, in tight bikinis. Yeah. They're trying to, as far as I can figure This is like horny guys being like, (laughs) These girls better wear bikini bottoms or else. I mean, what 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 is yeah. this? That's what it sounds like. I, um, no good explanation is given. I, I think that's even in the article. They've never given a, a legitimate reason why the women have to dress sexualized while the men get to um, wear comfortable sports shorts that actually make more sense. So you know, to, and to me, it should be just something like 
I you don't want the sporting event to be a sexualized thing. You want it to be about the competition and let the athletes be the ones to say, this is what I feel more comfortable competing in. This is what's going to get the best out of me in the competition. Well, but if they are not wearing bikinis and the other team are, are they not wearing a performance-enhancing performance enhancing garment? Oh, uh, well, that's a whole different <laughs> level. <laughs> but, yeah, I, but, but what I hope is um, whenever the next big tournament goes, other teams join in. Because if like one team this time around, next time, let's say half the teams do it, it's going to get an impact. And then after that, you know, if suddenly all the teams are doing it, they're kind of like, yeah, we probably have no choice but to change the rules now because we have no control over this because we were dumbasses and weren't listening to their complaints. Yeah. So, hey, hey, uh, I always listen to people's complaints. (laughs) No, these are not the you kind of dumbass, dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) so then so i I put that article in there like two or three days ago so then today um i I saw this germany debuts debuts full-length unitard at olympics and stands against sexualization in gymnastics all right so so germany basically was doing almost the exact same kind of thing saying we don't care what the norm is we don't care you know what you tell us they should be dressed in this is what our athletes are telling us they are more comfortable with. This is what they want to be dressed in. And if, if they're saying they can perform in this stuff, it's comfortable for them, and it desexualizes them because it shouldn't be about the sexualization, it should be about the performance, this is what we want them in. So it's, it's the exact same kind of thing, kind of spitting in the face of, we don't care what you guys are trying to tell us we're supposed to do, we're going to do what's best for our athletes. Good. Uh, yeah, so, and so, uh, you know, it's a move forward. And, you know, this is two things within a couple weeks of each other that are both almost the exact same kind of thing from two completely different countries where the saying our athletes had the exact same um, complaint. And okay. we want to deal with it. We want to get rid of it. And, you know, it's a very healthy, very positive sure. mentality. Well, going the, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even see why anybody would even complain about this. I mean, like, uh, even, if you, even if you want to see them as sexualized, this is still body-hugging yeah. uh, uh, material. It, it's still, you, you're looking at these, and these are uh, shapely young women. This is, this is still, uh, can, can be very arousing. Why, why would it be all that much more arousing? Because their legs are bare. Here's my thing, though, is that, I, I don't know, I think that, it, that we need to come to something, some equality with men and women in clothing in these kinds of sports. And maybe they just shouldn't be allowed clothes at all. It would, it, <laughs> go, go back to the original Olympics where they all yep. um, participated nude. Right. Yep. <laughs> and, and start out with mud wrestling. So were they fined? Were, were, was, was Germany fined? Or, or what's the... What's the... They were fined. Germany was? No wrestling. Oh, no. That's, more, no, that's sorry, better. I, I don't recall Germany being fined. I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. So. Not the wrestling. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, and anyway, if, they, if people are trying to get their sexual jollies, they, they don't need to keep watching volleyball. I mean, they, they, they're going to have cheerleaders to look at pretty soon. Yeah. No, look at the article. It doesn't yeah, say they were fine. The thing with uh, the, the, uh, the other team, too. I mean, the thing that the, the alternative that there's a, that they're uh, proposing are, are body hugging shorts. I mean, yeah. it, it's still. You're watching them, if you want to get your jollies off, it's, it can still be arousing. Why, why would you even complain and be like, no, 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 you have to show more skin? <laughs> complaining because they're trying to wear something that that they're not. They're, they're, cho- they're choosing to wear something different. 
Maybe that's what the complaint is about, that they're not being forced to wear something they don't want to wear. We've got to be very careful about performance-enhancing garments, though. I tell you what, <laughs> I'm very worried about this. Shorts. <laughs> I said, that, that, that's why you want to see more of the teams join in and say, yeah, you know, we're, we're on that same page, so that you, that can't be an issue. Because I, I agree with you. I agree with you that some people can try and claim that. But, okay, get all the teams on the same page, and you can't claim that anymore. Yeah. I'm kind of wrestling. <laughs> So no, I, I just love the fact that house, you know, completely different sports, completely different events, completely different countries, but they're both pretty much exact, saying the exact same thing. And it's a significant, you know, step and significant um, message going forward. Done wrestling. Yeah, it is. It's good. It's good. Hopefully, 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 you know, this idea that we're that we're controlling so, so closely what they're wearing in the first place is yeah, is not great. Like, how do you even come up with a dress code that uh, tells you? How much you can't wear. To, to, to be fair, it, it, it's funny because when you look at like school dress codes, the, the dress code that these women are being required to wear, they would not be able to wear that to high school. They couldn't yep. walk into a high school wearing that, that's that stuff. That's what I've been saying. It's a, that's what I said at the very beginning of this. This is <laughs> the exact opposite of the dress code thing we usually talk yeah, about. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is the opposite. Unless they were in gymnastics or cheerleading. So that's when you can sexualize them. You can't sexualize them if they're walking down the hall. But when they enter into a different level of things, that's when you are um, apparently allowed to sexualize them. Well, yeah, but it's not about it's not about sexualizing the girls, though. It's about distracting boys. Well, <laughs> I want to sexualize them during chemistry. That's what I want. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Chemistry well, and snakes. Chemistry and snakes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to come up with some kind of wrestling. So you just said chemistry. I tried that. Chemistry is its own subject. Uh, okay. When it comes to boys and girls, I think the, uh, I think the original original wrestling that Ian was talking about, I think they probably would have been fairly well coated with olive oil. <laughs> I talked about wrestling. <laughs> you did. You talked about uh, going back to the original. What if someone's allergic oh. uh, to olive oil? Do they have to do almond oil? Ian, I believe the exact quote is that you said is that uh, you, you want to see all these girls completely nude. Uh, uh, you, uh, just uh, no. Wait a second. That's you, what you I said. Should all take off their clothes for your for your own benefit for your for your game. You you want to completely objectify them? I believe that I, was your exact. I, I, uh, I think I was I was the one that said they'd make them equal. Like I, I wanted to. That's really rude. I say make yeah, them equal. If you're going back to the original original Olympics, no, it's not just the. Wouldn't be any women competing, it would be men competing, and they would be all there. All right, and on that disappointment, say goodnight, everybody. Goodnight, everybody. Goodnight. That is a giant penis rocket in the can. If you've made it this far, that's an hour of your time you're never getting back. But the amateur skeptics appreciate you giving that hour to us. If you'd like to tell us how you felt about spending that hour with us, let us know at WTF at amateurskeptics.com. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons Sharealike No Derivatives 3.5 license. Intro music by Peter Canold. Find more of Peter's music at soundcloud.com forward slash P-K-A-N-O-L. Exit music by OFM. Find more of their music at myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. Artwork for the Amateur Skeptics by Sean Smith Ford. Copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture.